Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. Amen. As you're seated, I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Daniel, chapter 6 this morning. Daniel chapter 6. Dr. Madison Surratt was a professor of mathematics at Vanderbilt University. Before giving a test, he would put uh, things in perspective by making a statement to all of his students. And this is what he would say. He would say, today I'm giving you two examinations. One in trigonometry, the other in honesty. I hope you will pass them both. But if you must fail one, fail trigonometry. There are many good people in the world who cannot pass trigonometry, but there are no good people in the world who cannot pass the examination of honesty. Speaks of integrity, how that is a lacking trait, character quality uh, in our culture today. It was a lacking trait in the culture of Daniel also. Life throws us exams, and usually they're pop exams. You know, pop quiz, or you can't be ready. So we're going to look at Daniel and working our way through this series on being faithful In spite of the difficulties of life, we've looked at being faithful when we've been pressured to compromise. We've we've looked at being faithful when there's the pressure of the fiery trials that come our way. Today we're going to look at being faithful in spite of opposition as we look at Daniel chapter 6. So if you would follow along. Verse 1. By the way, there's a new king in place now, a new regime. And Daniel's still in the picture. Darius decided to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom stationed throughout the realm, and over them three administrators, including Daniel. These satraps would be accountable to them so that the king would not be defrauded. And Daniel distinguished himself above the administrators and satraps because he had an extraordinary spirit. We know what that was, don't we? So the king planned to set him over the whole realm. Now here's Darius' plan to put Daniel, some have said prime minister, some have said president, to be in charge of everything, much like Joseph was in the land of Egypt under the days of Pharaoh. Verse 4 says, The administrators and satraps, therefore, kept trying to find a charge against Daniel regarding the kingdom, but they could find no charge or corruption, for he was trustworthy, and no negligence or corruption was found in him. Then these men said, We will never find any charge against this Daniel unless we find something against him concerning the law of his God. So... The administrators and satraps went together to the king and said to him, May King Darius live forever. All the administrators of the kingdom, the prefects, the satraps, the advisors, and the governors have agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an edict that for 30 days anyone who petitions any god or man except you, the king, will be thrown into the lion's den. Therefore, your majesty... Establish the edict and sign the document so that as the law of the Medes and Persians, it is revocable and cannot be changed. So King Darius signed the document. We know this passage. We know ultimately the outcome. We're going to look at this today as we talk about being faithful in spite of opposition. Many of the truths we're going to share this morning, we've been sharing for the last three weeks. We're going to look at them from a different angle as opposition might come our way. Number one, those who want to live a godly life will be misunderstood. 
Those who desire to live a godly life will be misunderstood. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 4, Friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes your way to test you as if something were happen- unusual were happening to you. In other words, don't be surprised when people misunderstand you. They misunderstood Daniel. If you look at this passage, Daniel is, is given a place of pre- a preeminence, a place of prominence in the kingdom, a place of authority. He is, he, his characteristics, his trait, he's an old man by now are seen to be above everyone else. And he's walking in obedience to God. He's being used in a great way in every administration that been, he's been placed in. He's doing a good thing. Yet those that were around him became jealous of him and they misunderstood. They may have questioned his motives. They may have not liked that he was going to be placed over them. They may have been those that said, what is it that every time we try to get to the top, God brings one of these Jews in, one of these Hebrews in, and gives them our place. Did you ever get passed over? For a promotion by someone you thought didn't deserve it? That's where Daniel, Daniel's friends are. They don't think he deserves to be where he is, but he does. And they misunderstand who he is. They misunderstand that spirit that is in him, as verse 3 says. An extraordinary spirit. Those who want to live a godly life, first of all, we're going to be misunderstood. You will be misunderstood. Your family might not understand it. Your coworkers may not understand it. Fellow church members may not understand it. They won't understand your resolve. But let me tell you, even though they misunderstand you, stay the course. I think about the Apostle Paul as we read in the book of Acts how he was saved on the road to Damascus and, and he was a persecutor of Christians. Remember on the road there, Jesus stopped him and called him and, and he responded in obedience and then God used him in the church and as they took this Apostle Paul and began to introduce him to the early church, you know what their reception of him was? <laughs> Not good. We don't want this guy around. We've heard the stories about him. We know that he's been persecuting us. That's, he's our enemy. We don't want him around. They didn't understand God had changed his heart. See, they couldn't look into the heart of Paul, and it took people to come alongside like Barnabas to encourage the church to say, accept my brother. He's one of us now. He'll be misunderstood. Number two, those who want to get, live a godly life will face opposition. Will face opposition. Paul wrote these words in 2 Timothy chapter 3. In fact, those who want to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. Not might be, not sometimes, but that will be the the state of life as a follower of Christ. We will face opposition. Skip down with me in this passage to verse 13. They replied to the king, Daniel, one of the Judean exiles, has ignored you, the king, and the edict you signed. For he prays three times a day. Remember the edict. The edict was for 30 days, anyone who prays to anyone other than the king, anyone who brings a petition to any god other than the king is to be executed. They say, we've noticed Daniel, one of those Jews, has ignored you, the king, for he prays three times a day. And as soon as the king heard this, he was very displeased. And he set his mind on rescuing Daniel and made every effort until sundown to deliver him. Some have said the, the king is angry with Daniel. I don't think so. I think the king's angry that he got caught because it says he seeks to rescue Daniel because he knows Daniel's heart. He knows the integrity of the man. He goes to del- seeks to deliver him. Look at verse 15. Then these men went to the king and said to him, You as the king know it is the law of the Medes and Persians that no edict or ordinance of the king can be changed. So the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and they threw him in the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God whom you serve continually, rescue you. The stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. 
The king sealed it with his own signet ring and the signet rings of his nobles so that nothing in regard to Daniel could be changed. The king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him and he could not sleep. Someone said, who slept better that night? King Darius or Daniel? <laughs> I think it was Dwight L. Moody that said, Daniel had a lion as a pillow. They faced opposition. He faced opposition. Now, let me say something clearly to you that we need to get in our brain. We think Darius and the other satraps and administrators and governors and all those folks were the enemy. They were not the real enemy. I want to read to you who the real enemy is. In Ephesians chapter 6, if you have your, can hold that place, look at Ephesians chapter 6 with me. Just in verse 10. Finally, be strengthened in the Lord and in his, in his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you, that you can stand against the tactics of and it starts with a D, but it's not Darius. The tactics of the devil. For our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against world powers of this darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. And he goes on to say, this is why you should put on the full armor of God. Peter said, be serious, be alert, because your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Folks, that is our enemy. The enemy is not the culture that's coming down on us. The enemy isn't the, the administration that we don't like or the person in authority that we don't like. The enemy is not someone at work who doesn't like you. The enemy is not a church member who disagrees with you. Folks, our enemy is Satan himself. Some of you just need to get it in your brain that the people around you that rattle you are not the enemy. Satan himself is our enemy. And Daniel's facing opposition not because he messed with those guys, but because he was faithful to God. Do you get it? You make a decision to say, I'm going to walk in obedience with Christ and the opposition will come. And your first tendency may be, ooh, that person's my enemy. That person's not your enemy. I know that because over 25 years of ministry, I've watched God bring some of the most godly people into my life, and the enemy gets in their life and gets in my life and messes up our relationship. And they're not my enemy, and I'm not their enemy. We've got to understand who he is. He is a liar. He is a deceiver. He is a tricker, as one of my friends says. That's who Satan is. That opposition comes from him. I love John Wesley's story. He wrote in his diary about preaching, and he was a circuit-riding preacher. And you know why Wesley was a circuit-riding preacher? Because he got kicked out of every church he preached in. And he'd set up place on some park bench or some, some little gathering place, and he'd start to preach, and they would throw stuff at him. They would throw vegetables and rocks and bricks at him, and he'd get on his horse, and he'd ride to the next place. One time he was praying, He's on his knees before the Lord and, and he is crying out to God and he's saying, God, I, I must not be in the center of your will today. This is my paraphrase, okay? Because here I am and, and it's been a while since I've faced any opposition. About that time, somebody walked by and noticed it was him and they picked up a brick and threw it at him. And it hit the wall and there he was and rattled, shattered down alongside of him. And in the midst of his prayer, he looked up and saw that brick and realized he said, oh Lord, thank you. I must be doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Because the opposition is still there. 
Paul wrote it to Timothy. Peter wrote it. Don't be surprised, it will come. I think it's interesting, the way Satan works, he loves to set traps. You say, well, was Daniel trapped? Well, there was an attempt to trap Daniel, wasn't there? I tell you, the first person that gets trapped in this story, this account, is Darius himself. These guys come to him, and his other leaders say, all of the other leaders have met. And everybody agrees that we should issue this law. All. All of them didn't meet, did they? All of them didn't agree to it, did they? Daniel stood alone. By the way, when someone comes to you and says, everybody says, or they all say, (laughs) you know who that is? That's that person in their close circle of friends. That's the all and everybody. If you find yourself saying that, check your heart. Darius got trapped. There's a passage in Proverbs chapter 7. I, I just... It's one of those passages in my Bible that's highlighted and underlined. And and in it, it describes the lure of immorality in the life of a godly person. And the, the writer of Proverbs describes exactly how the enemy sets a trap. And listen to these words. These words are written of the adulteress. But listen to this. In Proverbs chapter 7, she seduces him with her persistent pleading. She lures him with flattering talk. He follows her impulsively like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer bounding toward a trap until an arrow pierces his liver, like a bird darting into a snare. He doesn't know that it will cost him his life. That's a picture of a person being lured into adultery, but you know who's setting that trap? Satan. He sets the trap out there, and he woos us to take take a step and to step our foot right there in the middle of the trap. Listen, that's the way he works. He's trying to trap you. He's trying to trap you in your testimony. He's trying to come to you like these leaders went to Darius and twist things around so you'll believe a lie. Don't buy into it. Tell you what, don't be a part of the trap setting either. See, because sometimes Satan can't mess you up. You know what he'll do? He'll use you to mess somebody else up. When my son was little, we'd go fishing. Go out on the pier, I'd buy the bait, his fishing pole, everything, and we'd sit there in long hours, and pretty soon Cameron would get bored, not into the long hours, but I'd look over there, and he's laying over the dock with his head down in the water with the string. You know what he's doing? He's found a crab, and he's just got a string, and the crab reaches up there. I can't remember the one time out at Goose Island, Cameron had one. There wasn't even any bait or anything on the end of the string. He was dangling it there. And that crab grabbed hold of it. You know what he did? He pulled it up and he dropped it. And eventually, Cameron got, he was able to grab that crab. You know why? That crab just grabbed on. He was trapped. He didn't know any better. He didn't, I don't know what it is about crabs, but they'll grab onto stuff and not let go. You get trapped. And whether it's a chicken neck or a piece of bait that's worn out, or just a piece of string. The enemy is dangling it out there, and he wants you to grab hold. We will face opposition, but our enemy is not us. Number three, those who want to live a godly life will rely on the relationship. Those who want to live a godly life will rely on the relationship. Look at verse 10 with me. When Daniel learned that the document had been signed, he went into his house, 
the windows in its upper room open toward Jerusalem, and three times a day he got down on his knees, prayed, and gave thanks to his God just as he had done before. Just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and they found Daniel petitioning and imploring his God. You know why they found Daniel there in his house praying toward Jerusalem? Because that's what Daniel did. If this was written about Kevin, it would say verse 10. When Kevin learned about the document that had been signed against him, he panicked. And he began to fret and wring his hands and say, oh no, I guess I better pray harder than I've ever prayed before. Now that's not bad, the end part of that. But wouldn't it, wouldn't it be better if, if, if it could be said, when Kevin learned about the document, he just kept doing what he'd always done. He just stayed faithful in the relationship. See, that's what sustains us. Who's the relationship with? It's with the Lord. He's petitioning and imploring his God. By the way, it doesn't say in the verb tense here that he opened the windows so that they could all see him. It just says they're open, and that's what he always did. As the windows were open, as they'd always been, Daniel prays toward Jerusalem. Like the Muslims today, pray toward Mecca. Daniel prayed toward Jerusalem, and, and again, scholars disagree as to why he did that. Some feel like it was because prophetically he knew that God was speaking to him. And in the last six chapters that come in the book of Daniel, it's about restoration. And he, he longed for that. I do believe he longed for that. But, but also Jerusalem was their home. It was the place of the temple. It was the place where they met with God. So Daniel's 500 plus miles away and he's looking back toward Jerusalem and he's praying, God, I, I remember where I met you in that place. It's interesting Daniel prays back to Jerusalem, but Daniel, God's about to meet Daniel right where he is there in Persia. It's all about consistency. See, if pop quizzes come your way, you know what that means? You better be studied up. See, it's not a pop quiz if the professor says, tomorrow morning, you're going to be asked to get out a sheet of paper, and I'm going to ask you to write the five reasons that whatever. It's not a pop quiz, is it? That, that's like an exam where you get a chance to prepare. But I found that the Lord allows pop quizzes, and I found that the enemy loves to bring them. See, God allows trials to, to elevate and to encourage and build us up. The enemy brings trials and pop quizzes to put us down. That's how you know the difference. And sometimes you can't tell the difference. You just have to trust God that he's going to use whatever it is. Daniel, praying toward Jerusalem, consistency in the relationship. The only thing that will sustain us as a church, the only thing that will sustain us as individuals is a love relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's all. Not attendance records, not facilities, not the, the feeling we have when we worship, but our love relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's what sustained Daniel. It'll sustain us. He prayed. He prayed. I don't know that his prayer didn't say, God, I'm petitioning and imploring you that I can get out of this mess. I petition and implore you that if I'm thrown in the lion's den, then, then it'll be okay, but I'm sure that was in there. But more than anything, it was just a relationship. He was in the habit of doing, praying. Pastor George, uh, Wyatt George tells a story of a Christmas card he received from some missionaries. Their name is the Crossets, Vincent Margaret Crossett. 1940s, the Crossets had gone to China to be missionaries, and they went to a remote village, and it was very hard, difficult work. They struggled 
to lead some people to Christ. And, and after a period of, of years, finally a small Bible study was established. And in that day, you could call that a church in China. A few people gathered, and it's just, just simply like a small grace group that we have. And then the communists took over, and the, the revolution happened. In 1948, all the missionaries were forced out of China. The Crossets had to leave and come, come away from China. But you know what they did for 40 years? They prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed for that fledgling group of believers they'd left there. They prayed about the opposition that was there coming from the communist government, but they knew who the real opposition was. And finally, when the doors were reopened to go back into China, the Crossets went in, and they made their way straight to that village to find that small huddling group of believers, and they couldn't find them. What they found was a church of 4,000 people that had birthed many other churches in that area. And their testimony is, we couldn't be there, we couldn't disciple, but we knew to pray for them. Folks, Daniel did a good thing. Prayer is the relationship. Prayer is what God's going to use. Number four, is that what we're on? Number four. Those who want to live a godly life will not go unnoticed by God. Those who desire to live a godly life will not go unnoticed by God. Look at verse 19. Sleepless night for the king, but a night of peace for Daniel. Because the Bible says at the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. And he reached in the den and he cried out in anguish to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, the king said, has your God whom you serve continually. Interesting, isn't it? Has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the mouth of the lions? I read uh, one study on this, and the title of it was The Lions in Daniel's Den. (laughs) Then Daniel spoke with the king, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the mouths of lions, shut the lions' mouths. They haven't hurt me, for I was found innocent before him. Also, I have not committed a crime against you, my king. The Bible says the king was overjoyed. Of course he was. See, Daniel may have been in the lion's den. Daniel may have been alone. But God knew where he was. God took care of him. As I was studying, I just, I just thought about, and I remember who first said this, but don't toot your own horn. Let God toot it. Don't brag on yourself. Just be faithful like Daniel was doing. And God comes in and God sounds the call, doesn't he? Daniel's faithfulness. He protects those he loves. He protects those who are faithful, who understand the opposition may come, but I'm going to stay faithful in the stuff. A few years back when our kids were little, I always pray for God's protection over the home, for God's protection over the kids even as they sleep. And one night we were in the living room watching a movie and I heard this crash that sounded like a bomb coming from my daughter's bedroom. Now she had gone out spending the night with a friend that night so she wasn't there. And I got up and started, you know how when something happens like that you're really not sure what happened? And I got up and I'm trying to process what just happened and I'm going into her bedroom in the darkness and I'm thinking, I wonder what just happened in there? What am I walking into? And I walked in, and the window, the, the, the blinds were blowing, and uh, I turned on the light and tried to gather my thoughts, and there was glass all over the room, her bed, the floor, everything. 
Someone had taken a huge center block and chunked it through her window. If she'd been lying in that bed there, she would have been hit. It, it probably would have injured her severely. And my first thought was, what happened? Then I heard a car speed away, and, and I ran out, and it was gone. And, and as, as I finished processing what just happened, I said, God, I don't understand. I've, I've asked you to protect my family. And then God's kind of like, you know how that happens? But in the middle, middle of your prayer, God says, Kevin, did anybody get hurt? I didn't hear that, but I heard it. You know what I mean? Isn't it interesting that your daughter wasn't lying in her bed when that brick came through? See, God, God protects those. He, he notices us right where we are. Number five. God was with, or God is with those who want to live a godly life. God is with those who want to live a godly life, working in the midst of the circumstances. We saw that God was with the three young men in the fiery furnace. The Bible says here that that the the mouths of the lions were, were shut. God is with Daniel. Verse 22 says, my God, Daniel tells him, my God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths. See, even though Daniel seems alone, he is in the presence of God. You go through the Old Testament, you will find over and over again, especially in the life of Joseph, God was with, God was with. God was with Joseph in Potiphar's house. God was with Joseph in, uh, in prison. God was with Joseph. God is with Daniel. He is with us as we struggle to live a godly life. James says, Consider it great joy, my brothers, whenever you experience various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith will produce perseverance or endurance, but endurance will also do its perfect work so that you may be mature, complete, lacking nothing. James says when you go through difficulties, whether it's opposition or misunderstanding or a crisis, God wants to use it for his glory. God is with those. He wants to work in those circumstances. Brian Chappell tells a story of a 17-year-old girl who's in the middle of the Great Depression. She gathered with her family to say goodbye to her father as he passed away. Then that family gathered at the graveside. The little 17-year-old girl had to borrow a dress to even go to her father's funeral. And there's this mother and her seven children, now widowed, with hardly any income at all, with a heavy mortgage, and they're, they're, they've just buried the dad. And the 17-year-old girl was at a point of despair, even despondency. She went into her room, and in the silence there was grieving. There's no hope, she's thinking. And then she hears the sound of a broom in the kitchen. There's a whisk and a whisk. She called it the song of the broom because she said with every one of those whisks of the broom, it was saying, life goes on. She said, mom had not spoken in three days and now she's resuming the household chores. And this message to this young 17-year-old girl was, mom is continuing continuing with life as we knew it. Life goes on. Song of the broom, I love that. 
So years later, that same lady wrote in her journal about how in the jungles of South America, her husband, Jim Elliott, had been murdered by the very people they had gone to share Christ with. And Elizabeth Elliott says many times in her life she's been sustained by the song of the broom. Trust him and live. Folks, it doesn't matter what comes our way. We can trust him. Pray together.